kids are supposed to leave now, Paul? The, the kindergarten, kindergarten and first, grade? first graders. See, uh, I kind of know how the drill is here. Paul, thank you. I had no idea that you were going to say those nice, nice things about me. I didn't know you were going to introduce me. I was just planning on coming up and making up a lot of nice things about myself. So, um, brave though, huh? I don't know. Uh, my wife, Shelly, couldn't be here. We have a 11-year-old daughter and an almost 8-year-old son. It's hard for me to even think about that. And for those of you that grew up with me or know me well, <laughs> that's kind of, um, that's a miracle, right? So, but they're, uh, they're busy with life. You know how that goes. And at that age, you just, you're kind of like a full-time taxi cab driver. So that's where my wife is. They're in Charleston. And, uh, so my journey went Young Life staff. And then I did a year, uh, almost a year on the staff of this little church. Really sweet little church about the size of this. But I don't have, uh, the gifts, I guess, to be in that church that was needed. So it was kind of an awkward time of life trying to figure out where I fit in the world. And uh, so for the last six months, I've been working in the business world in sales, in medical sales. And, uh, you know, I, it, from a vocational kind of point of view in ministry to now in the business world, I can tell you that going to Laney High School or to Miami with Young Life, you know, in the name of Christ, is uh, not as intimidating as taking Christ into the workplace. So, um I really appreciate all you guys, ladies, men, kids, who have done that. That's really brave. I wouldn't plan on saying any of that. So um, that's me, though, and I'm excited to be here. This is like coming home. I literally grew up on George Anderson Drive, so just right down the road. Literally right down the road. <clears throat> the Apostles' Creed. I don't know, you guys, do you ever say the Apostles' Creed here, Paul? You believe it, though, right? Okay, that's good stuff. Um, so, okay, good. It was uh, written, uh, when was it written? Um, 390 A.D., I think. And it was written as kind of a, uh, as a tool to use to honor this great commission. And, you know, these early apostles, they, they took that commission very seriously to go into all the world and baptize in the name of Christ and to make converts. That was their thing. You know, they didn't have a lot of programs back there, back then. They didn't know what a youth group was. They didn't know what a seminary was. They didn't know. They just, it was not a lot of whistles and bells to the early church. They were just going out with this message of love and reconciliation. And it was very pure. But they needed to equip, be equipped to like, what's our, what's our mission statement? <laughs> what, what do we, what do we say when we get there? What are we about? And so they, they kind of came up with this. I call it the Apostles' Creed later on, but this creed has stood the test of time, and I want to start with this this morning. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into the dead. But on the third day, he rose again and ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father and he will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body and life everlasting. Amen. And we read that and we say that and we know that for thousands of years now. And after a while, we forget just because of the busyness of life and being full-time 
moms and full-time dads and driving our kids all over the place. We forget the power of that. You know, that's an amazing creed. Everything I just read is unbelievable. And it deserves like cheers, you know. When we read that or say that, we should, yes, you know. It's greater than any line that's been in any movie. It's way better than any basketball game or football game that we can go to. This is unbelievable. It really is unbelievable. It should move our spirits, but now we just kind of read it, you know. We believe in the Holy Catholic Church, forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body and life everlasting. Amen. There you go. But this is what we believe as Christians, and this is what's supposed to compel us, and this is what we're supposed to take to all these people groups that Mark talked about. And uh, the rubber is not meeting the road somewhere. And uh, I'm going to read some statistics. And I don't, you know, statistics are funny. It depends on where they come from. But uh, I don't know if they're true about all of you guys. I don't know uh, how, how true they are. I mean, you know, maybe it's 50% of these statistics are 100% right all the time. I don't know. I don't know how that works out. But listen to the statistics. Maybe there's some truth to them. That 20% of church members never go to church. 25%. Admit they never pray. So I don't know about the ones that aren't admitting that, but 25% admit they never pray. 35% admit they do not read their Bibles. 40% admit they never contribute to the church. 40% admit that they never contribute to the church. So how about the ones that are not admitting that, you know? Uh, and the offering comes by, they drop the dollar in, they tell their wife it was $100 maybe, you know? Or they, they, uh, they don't want anybody to see their check. You know what I mean? That's me. I confess that's in us all. But 40% never contribute to the church. 60% never give to missions. Mark, you're in charge of missions. 60% of the average church goer never give to missions. You have an uphill battle there. 70% assume no responsibility within the church. So they have the 80-20 rule. It's um, you know, probably close to that. 85% will never invite anyone to their church. Unless it's because they like hear that their friend hates their church. Oh, our church is terrible. You should come to our church. We sing bluegrass. It's pretty awesome. Ninety-five uh, percent <clears throat> of people in the church, and this is these are statistics I should have said in, of church, the church in America. Ninety-five percent admit to never having converted somebody to the faith. Ninety-five percent. But yet, that's the Great Commission. That's the whole point of this whole thing. You know, it's not a, we don't have this narcissistic faith. It's not like we read this, a self-help book. That's not what this is. Sure, there's great comfort in this, but there's a whole lot more challenge. When Christ bids you to come and follow him, he bids you to come and die to yourself and to everything that you want in the flesh and then go and make disciples of all these people. So it's follow me and make followers of me. Be rescued by me and reproduce that rescue in the lives of others. And yet 95% of the church has never converted somebody to faith in Jesus. Hey, I like that for an introduction, you know? I feel very welcomed by me this morning, I'm sure. And I will say all those statistics, I, 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 I humbly say those because it is hard. Now, I told you I'm in the business world now and it, you know, I'm like, I'm in medical sales. So it's like, hey, would you like to buy a needle? 
and hear about Jesus. You know, I know it's hard. It doesn't work that way. It's messy and stuff like that. But uh, I, I want us to kind of engage this this morning, uh, kind of with palms up. Like, Lord, what would you have for us in this message? Um, so this is the start of missions. Uh, was it missions month? Missions week? Month? Awesome. This is great. Uh, so uh, missions is kind of a partner with evangelism because, you know, evangelism is you sharing your faith and the faith of uh, in Christ that you have in Christ with someone else in the hopes that that faith would resonate with them, that they would follow Jesus, too. And then missions is taking that act of evangelism and taking it to. So another unreached people group, whether it's Laney High School or Topsail High School or a middle school or the kid at the unpopular table in the lunchroom or that jerk that you have to work with or your neighbor who you think might be in the witness protection program because you never see him. You know, it's what missions is. Maybe it looks like Japan or Cambodia or London or maybe it looks like your neighbor next door, literally your neighbor. Love your neighbor. Remember that whole thing? And so missions can be foreign missions. It could be domestic missions. It could be to the person that you're sitting next to in church or the person that you sit next to in the cafeteria or at work. Here are some statistics. i got to tell you, um, Mark and I didn't talk. I had no idea he was going to stand up and so, um, articu- so articulate all these statistics about missions. And so thank you, Mark. For doing that and uh, that was great it saved me some time having to kind of set that whole thing up and I'm just I'm really thankful that you guys see the big picture and you have someone like that at the helm with missions so I'm going to kind of give you some statistics these are coming from the Southern Baptist International Mission Board and I'm using these because there's other statistics in other places but we're probably if you grew up in the south you're familiar with the Southern Baptist Mission Board they do a great job of going to these different parts of the world and uh and so that, this is kind of their statistics. I think there's probably some truth to this. 11, 000, over 11,000 people groups in the world, of which there's 6,400 are unreached. But here is what I want to um, focus on this morning. There's 3,100. 3,100 are unengaged people groups. Now, unengaged means there's no plan on the books by, for anybody right now to go reach these group of people. So 3,100 People groups that represents millions of people. They're they're unengaged. There's no plan. Okay, so um, it would be uh, like like Paul was talking about earlier, where Young Life, the president stood up and said, "Okay, we need to go into inner city Detroit and inner city L.A. and Miami and to the Dakotas, like because they're unengaged. We don't have a plan. So collectively, what I'm saying is there's three thousand one hundred. People groups that represents million people that are unengaged. There's no plan at all by the church, the Catholic church, little c, all of us collectively, denominationally across the board. There's no plan. Unengaged. So with that in mind, listen to this. There are 44,000 Christian denominations in the world. That's 14 denominations for every unengaged people group. There are 7 million evangelical Christians in the world. That's 225,000 for every unengaged people group. There are 4.5 million Christians 
excuse me, 4.5 million Christian congregations. This is one of 4.5 million Christian congregations. That's 1,451 congregations for every unengaged people group. There are 4,900 Christian foreign mission sending agencies. Almost 5,000 missionary agencies in the world. That's 1.5 agencies for every one unengaged people group. This doesn't sound like good news, does it? To see progress in America to us, because we are sinful at best, because we are creatures of flesh and habit, progress for us looks like consumption. You know, we're going to consume this idea. We're going to consume this uh, excitement about this. We're going to consume something monetarily. We're going to consume this flashy thing here and this shiny thing here. We're going to consume. And with consumption means that we've got to be busy. So now there's activity and consumption going on. And that equals works. Okay, and now works, that means personal responsibility. So progress to us looks like there's a lot of personal responsibility to this. And so as we're on this great plan, this great commission, and we're we're going after these unreached groups and these unengaged people groups, we get to kind of the cliff and we go, this progress doesn't seem to be working very well. Now, I'm not, to, I'm not saying at all that there's not great success stories. I mean, there really, there really are. A lot of you can raise your hand and say, somebody reached me. Hopefully, recently, there's some folks in here maybe who have said, somebody reached me recently. And, and we can go to parts of the world that were unengaged and unreached before. So I'm not, this isn't a blanket statement, nothing we're doing is working. I want you to hear uh, the underlining truth of this, that with all of our ideas of progress and all of our ideas uh, and, and resources and all that kind of stuff, we've gotten to this edge and we've, we can kind of go, something's not working. You know, we can take one more step into this and keep going and call it progress and maybe fall off the cliff. Or maybe we can turn around and do something differently. Because, right, you know, if, if, you're, if you're going somewhere and you run into a wall, what should you do? Keep running to the wall or maybe turn around and go a different direction. So we've gotten to this thing. We're going, if there's 1.5 agencies, mission agencies in the world for every one unreached people group, something's wrong. We don't, you know, there's always moving parts and nothing seems to be working. So what if we just turned around and went back to the basics? I mean, all the way back, all the way back to the apostles, all the way back to the early days of the church when there weren't all these programs and there weren't such things as mission agencies and there wasn't such thing as, uh, you know, uh, a, a great little congregation with a month for missions. And that sounds like I'm belittling you. I, I don't mean to. I'm just trying to say, hey, let's shake things up here. What's the bare essence of what we're trying to accomplish I've got, I'm a very visual person, uh, and I, I, I have a, an illustration that I want to use. But in, as I go through this illustration, I want you to, we're going to kind of case it with this, this quote from a guy named Henry Now, and it's in your, your bulletins if you want to read along with me. Let me tell you a little bit about Henry Now, if you're unfamiliar. Henry Now was a Catholic priest. He, he was a, a scholar, he was a theologian, he taught at Princeton, I think he taught for a little time at Harvard, I know he taught at Oxford, he was an amazing mind, he died uh, about, I don't know, 15, 20 years ago, I can't remember, but uh, what he's best known for is an author, to be a, a, was an author, 
But he also spent a lot of time with very humble people. He lived in a community at one point in Canada of like thousands upon thousands of people with different disabilities, like severe disabilities, people that couldn't feed themselves, that couldn't communicate. And uh, he was the chaplain for this community. And he also went to these unreached people groups and lived among them. He was kind of uh, almost like a scholarly Mother Teresa kind of guy. And uh, he has this quote I would like to you to read with me. The more I think about the meaning of living and acting in the name of Jesus, the more I realize that what I have to offer others is not my intelligence. It's not my skill, power, or influence, or connections, but my own human brokenness through which the love of God can manifest itself. What I have is my own human brokenness. See, as we take a step back away from this edge that we're at, and we go back to the basics and go, what is our faith really about? Where does this all start? Paul said it best. Even our best works are but filthy rags. You have to start with who you really are. Because if who you really are is this brokenness that Henry Nouwen talks about, then we're not, when we offer our best, it doesn't work. So here's this illustration here. Um, so this cup. I'm not a um, potter, but I think it's really cool. You know, the, the, I don't even know what you call it, the little potter's wheel. It's got the little pedal. You put a little lump of clay on it, add a little water, and you get the thing going. It goes in a circle, and then you start, the potter starts molding and shaping this clay into whatever, a, a, a plate, a a figurine, an ashtray. I don't know what you're making, but you're making something, right? And, and in this case, let's say they're making a cup. And, and the creator's thumbprints are all over the cup. And you go, ah, oh, look what I've made. This is my creation. And I've made it for a purpose. If you were a potter and you're making a, making a cup, what's the purpose of this? It's to hold something, right? To hold uh, water in this case, let's say. Or coffee. Or tea or whatever. Okay, and it isn't just supposed to hold the water and sit on a shelf. Ah, look what I've made. The purpose is to hold this fine liquid and let's look at it. No, it's so somebody can quench their thirst with whatever the cup is holding. And hey, the cup, by the way, kind of reflects the Creator. It's not the Creator, but it looks like the Creator. It's kind of shaped like the Creator, kind of made like the Creator. And that's true about you. You're not God, but you were made in God's image. And His thumbprints are all over you. And His ideas about you are rich and creative. And, and, and He made you with a purpose, for a purpose. But this isn't the reality that we live with because of this little thing called sin. In fact, this isn't the truth at all. I'd like to say it was a cup with just a little crack in it. But this is the truth. The theological term for this would be uh, total depravity. You know, Uh, I mean, there is nothing good in man at all. At all. In and of ourselves. And this is the truth that we deal with. On an everyday basis. So we're going to all these people groups with our strength, our best foot forward, our resources, our intelligence, our networks, our ideas. 
And this is the power of all those ideas. Right? It doesn't work at all. The purpose from which we were created for does not work. We do not hold the life and the truth in which we are created for. Because we are broken. At best, we're broken vessels. Well, we can try to put it back together, right? Don't we do that? Well, I'll tell you what I'll do is I'll try to look really nice and I'll come to that barbecue that we're going to have and I'll say, I've got some money and ideas for you and, you know, and, and we try to put it together and we're still unprofitable servants at best. We're still broken. And I'm here to tell you this morning that this is okay. God knows this. He knew this about you when he gave us the Great Commission. He didn't somehow now give us the Great Commission and think, well, they're going to only accomplish this if they can kind of get their act together and pull their brokenness together. And this is how it worked out, though. So God sends Jesus on the scene, not broken, to live a perfect life, to be whole, to be complete, to show us what God is like and what life is, is like live God's way. And then a substitution is made. Remember the story and the passion story where Jesus goes before Barabbas. I mean, it goes before uh, Pontius Pilate and Pilate tries to find a way out and he offers Barabbas. There's this guy named Barabbas who was a, a rioter and a murderer. And uh, Pilate says, hey, everybody, guess what? There's this, there's this festival, there's this feast and uh, at this time, I'm supposed to show you how good I am and how good the government is. And so I'm going to let somebody go free. So there's this Barabbas guy. And then there's this Jesus guy. Who do you want to go free? We can let uh, Barabbas free or Jesus free. And the crowd says, uh, let Barabbas go free. What shall we do with Jesus? Or what about Jesus? What are we going to do with him? He's innocent. And the crowd says, crucify him. So, Jesus becomes broken for us. Barabbas gets off. Substitutionary atonement, right? Jesus for us. Us for Jesus, however you want to say that. So now there's us and there's Jesus and Jesus becomes this for us, right? He's stripped bare. He's, he's, a crown of thorns are shoved into his head. He's literally whipped and beaten. He's crucified on the cross. He becomes broken for us. He dies. Three days later, he rises. New. He's, he's not broken anymore. He's whole again. And he asks us to give us, give ourselves to him. I've heard it said this way, that Jesus asks us to give all that we know of ourselves to all that we know of God. Let me say that again. Jesus asks us to give all that we know of ourselves to all that we know of God. So this is what this looks like. We're going to give God our strength. We're going to give God our, our pride. We're going to give God our, our fears. We're going to give God our talents. We're going to give God our, our, our money. We're going to give God our, uh, our secrets. We're going to give God our bad habits. We're going to give God 
our ideas that we think they're good ideas, but they're really terrible ideas. <laughs> We're going to give all that we know of ourselves to all that we know of God. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says, If anyone is in Christ, in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And now, if we are in Christ, the purpose for which God made us for can work. See, in our brokenness alone, we can't offer anybody anything to quench their thirst. In our, in our strength alone, we have nothing to offer these people groups that Mark showed us. I mean, even our best works fail. But in Christ, when we give Christ our brokenness, then, then we can quench someone's thirst because it's not us, it's Christ. If you have your um, Bibles or you can open the Bibles in the pew, let, let's go through the, the scripture that Paul read a minute ago. Second Corinthians chapter five. The title of this part here is the ministry of reconciliation. <clears throat> verse 11. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse 11. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. That persuasion of others, that's missions, right? What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is plain uh, to your conscience. We're not trying to commend ourselves to you. Again, we're giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than is what, it, what is in our hearts. What's in our hearts? This stuff. This brokenness. That's what's really in your heart. The best you have to offer somebody is your brokenness because that's all you are. That's all I am. Verse 13, if we are out of our minds, as some say, it is for God and we are in our, but we are, if, if we are in our right mind, it is for you. The point of that is, hey, this is messy. It's okay if it's messy. It's supposed to be messy. God knows it's messy. It's going to look like we're crazy sometime. It might look like you are crazy going in the cafeteria and sitting at the uncool table, right? Or going to that kid that lives down the street that you don't really like hanging out with. This is weird or something, you know, it might look crazy or it might look crazy, folks, to go to somebody at work who's going through a hard time. Or maybe they're just a jerk and nobody likes to hang out with them. It might be crazy. It might look like you're out of your mind. That's OK. That's part of God's plan. For Christ's love compels us. Verse 14, for Christ's love compels us, compels. That means you can't help it. Even if tomorrow you don't answer the call to engage, you're going to think about it and you're going to feel like you're supposed to because Christ's love is compelling you. It's like you're caught in some tractor beam and you know that you're supposed to be doing it because God's love is so great. And I'm asking that you would just be brave enough and start listening as you're compelled Because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all have died. He was broken for you, is the point of that. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and was raised again. This is a big challenge, but it's not, on our, uh, it's not our responsibility, our strength, 
our network, our power, our control. Let's skip down here to verse 20. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. What's an ambassador? It's someone who represents something else. And you represent Christ. We represent this Jesus. Well, we don't represent Him very well like this, do we? That's why we have to give all that we know of ourselves to all that we know of Jesus. And then it's possible to represent the purpose from which we were made. Because we represent Jesus, not ourselves. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That last line is a zinger. I mean, that's the gospel. That is it right there. That's what we're supposed to be taking to the whole world. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let me close with this. It's a quote from Richard Foster. I think this too is on your bulletin. Transformation and intimacy both cry out for ministry. We are led through the furnace of God's purity, not just for our own sake, but also for the sake of others. We are drawn up into the bosom of God's love. We are drawn up into the bosom of God's love. I love imagery that is uh, not just masculine when it comes to God. You picture a mother, a loving mother. We are drawn up into the bosom of God's love, not merely to experience acceptance, but also so we can give his love to others. That's Richard Foster. First Thessalonians 2 says, Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we are delighted not just to share the gospel, but our very lives as well. This missions thing doesn't work unless you come forward with your brokenness and offer that in Christ. Is all I got. All I got is Christ, world. Laney High School, all I had was me. Miami, all I had was me. Out there in the medical sales world, all I have is me. And what I am is broken. But in Christ, we are a new creation. And that is the hope that Christ sends us out with. Let me pray. Lord, as Robert Benson put it plainly, we cannot be multiplied enough to be shared. We can only be broken enough to be shared. So God, may we know our brokenness, accept our brokenness, and be found in you. And let that brokenness that is found in you be the light that which people are drawn to Christ by. That compels others to know your great love. Amen.